Good morning again. Happy Thanksgiving again. I don't know. All right. So, uh, like Adam said, we've been spending some time in Luke, and we're going to continue to spend some time in Luke. I've been really blessed by it. I hope you have been as well. Uh, Just to recap last week, we talked a lot about authority and power and how Jesus was just different. And we're going to see this time and time again, how Jesus and the way that he interacts with people and the way that he teaches people specifically was just different. We talked about how he would go from town to town and people would either be really encouraged by it or really turned off by Jesus, even to the point where they want to kill Jesus because of the words that he is speaking to them. Uh, But nevertheless, uh, it was all because of his boldness, but not just his boldness, but the authority with which he spoke. Right? And we talked about how for us, we needed to be able to be convicted by that word because we all agree that that word still has the power to convict people today. But we have to acknowledge that power. We have to be convicted ourselves. And the second part to that is, are we willing to be changed by the word that Jesus is preaching? Am I willing to divert my entire life because of the word that Jesus brings to me? And we kind of settle on on this last question, of not really a question, but a statement of, I need to re-visualize or re-understand or rethink how I see authority in my life. Some of us have a hard time submitting to authority, but when it comes to our, our, our Christian walk and our faith, that's what we're called to do. Surrender to absolute authority. And that's so, so different from the world around us because the world around us is not absolute power or absolute authority, but nevertheless, it's still difficult for us to surrender to absolute authority and power. That's what we're trying to lean into more. Okay, Leaning more into understanding that Jesus offers us that truth and understanding that nobody else could possibly give us. So we're going to continue along those same lines today. Before we get there, I want you to think of this famous quote, famous song many of you have probably heard, right? You can't always get what you want. I won't sing for you, but you can kind of maybe hear Mick Jagger as I'm saying this to you. You can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you find you get what you need. A great parable, right? Uh, A fantastic turn of phrase that a lot of us have probably experienced in our lives. I know right now it's Thanksgiving. We're probably well into the gift-giving portion of the season, right? We're buying gifts. And for me, this is a difficult thing to get to when it comes to gift-giving and gift-receiving, right? There's a lot of wants we have, right? A lot of big asks in our life that we are wanting more of. Uh, maybe more of a certain hobby thing that we want, right? Maybe just more time to spend doing those hobbies. Uh, but it's so difficult to, to, to kind of pilfer through the things that we want versus the things that we need. Am I getting a lot of feedback here? Am I getting a little bit? Okay. It sounds kind of weird for me. I just want to check in with you guys. But going from the things that we want versus the things that we need, very, very different things, especially when it comes to gift-giving. And for me, when it comes to gift-giving for me and my spouse especially, is that what are the things that you need that you wouldn't necessarily buy for yourself? That's kind of the Venn diagram we like to live in right there in the middle. Things that you need, things that you want, and things that you don't really want to buy yourself. That's, where we, that's the sweet spot for us. And maybe you found that for yourself as well. But what I found is beyond gift-giving, there's experiences in our life that we realize that we might not have necessarily wanted them to happen, but they're really good that they ended up happening to us, Right? We didn't want them, but we needed those things to happen to us. I have an example came to my mind very quickly for this. Uh, when I was uh, in college, I had to do a youth internship with a church. 
in Knoxville, Tennessee. It was a great experience, but one of my least favorite parts of the entire summer was we spent about 14 days on the campus of Lipscomb University, which is a fantastic campus, don't get me wrong, but it was for a thing called Impact, and Impact is a great event. I, I highly encourage anybody who's interested to go to that event. It's very, very good. But what wasn't good for me was that I had to go through all this training, and I could not leave the campus for 14 days. It felt like kind of like a jail, right? I could not step off campus whatsoever. I had to give, be given orders and, and, and responsibilities by this person that I didn't really respect that all, all that much. It goes back to our authority conversation last week, right? But I didn't love that experience. So leading up to that, I knew it was going to be kind of a, like a grind through it. So I posted on Facebook to see if any of my friends have me going. And this random person said, hey, I'll be there. And I was like, I don't really know this person, but maybe I'll try to interact with this person. The very first day, uh, we're sitting in orientation together, not really, we're having small talk. And then we get paired up to do this job together. And from that point on, me and that person became the best of friends. Like literally my closest friend in this world, his name is Kevin Pugh. He's the youth minister over at Saturn, uh, Saturn Road Church in, um, in Texas. And to this day, he is my best friend outside of my wife on this entire planet. And it's from that moment that I did not want to happen. I did not want to go and do this event whatsoever. But it ended up being the thing that I absolutely needed, a lifelong friend, a great experience. I was proven wrong by the entire thing. But at the end of it, I didn't necessarily want that thing to happen, but I definitely needed that thing to happen in my life. Great, great benefits. And I'm sure many of you understand this. You're probably thinking of experiences in your life that you didn't want to happen, but ended up needing to happen in your life. But the problem is, is that with hindsight and perspective, all that becomes very clear. Guess when it's not clear? When you're in the middle of it, right? A lot of times the experiences, the hard times that you're going through, it is not clear that you need that thing to happen to you while you're in the middle of it. Often that involves a struggle, right? Maybe you're thinking of, your, of yourself and your own experience where you struggled, you came out on the other side and you're like, man, I'm so thankful that struggle happened in my life. In the middle, it's difficult though. In the middle, you aren't able to say this, you know, you can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you just might find you get what you need because guess what? You want to get out of that situation as fast as humanly possible. But sometimes we need those situations. Hindsight helps, but it's so, so difficult when you're in the middle to understand all of this, all of this that's going on. And so I bring all this up, and I bring up all these emotions and, and these things that you're probably thinking about in your life right now, because I think we're in one of those moments this morning with our guy Simon in Luke chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and be in, in Luke chapter 5. We're going to be there most of this morning. But I have this feeling that Simon is in the middle of this kind of place where he wants to be or thinks he's going, where Jesus is like, actually, I'm going to do something completely different for you. Okay, so let's check in with Simon. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw the water's edge, two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat and came and helped them. 
And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. So you're probably familiar with this story, but what I am kind of interested in this morning is, once again we have Jesus inserting himself into the life of Simon. Okay, if you remember last week, they had this interaction here in Luke chapter 4, verse 38. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over and rebuked the fever, and and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. So we see that Simon is kind of infiltrated by Jesus in a way. It's not like a lot of times when we have healings happening, people are bringing things to Jesus, bringing people to Jesus saying, can you please help my sister or my brother or this person that's far off? And Jesus does something. But in this situation, Jesus leaves the synagogue and he just goes to Simon's house. Don't know if he's invited or not, but he just ends up being at Simon's house. And then we fast forward to Luke chapter 5, and once again we see Jesus inserting himself into the life of Simon. There's boats there that happen to be left there. It's not like Simon is jockeying for a position to have his boat close to Jesus, right? He doesn't know he's going to do this. But yet Jesus says, I'm going to go into this boat. And I find it interesting. It sounds like that um, Simon is in the boat with Jesus while he's teaching. Right? So it sounds like Simon is kind of being, his day is being interrupted once again by Jesus, right? Jesus enters his home, Jesus enters his boat, and eventually we're going to see that Jesus is going to enter his life in a very radical way. He is constantly interrupting the life of Simon. So Jesus finishes his speaking, all these great crowds, they hear Jesus' words, they finish his speaking, and then he has some fishing advice for these professional fishermen. Uh, go out to deep water and cast your nets. And this is Simon's response. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Now, you might want to read this, and if it were me, I'd probably get a little sarcastic with this person who's telling me to do this. right? I, maybe that's just me. But if, I've, if I'm a professional fisherman and this person comes and says, hey, have you tried this? I'd be like, yeah, we tried that. Right? But it seems to me that in this interaction, a very, very important thing is happening for Simon as he's interacting with Jesus. He says these words, but because you say so. Right? It's like this acknowledgement is being taken place. We've done everything that we could possibly do, but because you say so, something different might take place. Again, remember that Simon has been infiltrated by Jesus time and time again. He's seen him literally go into his life. His mother-in-law's fever is gone. Interesting. right? He goes and he teaches the multitude of people, this is very interesting. Why does this guy keep coming around me like this? And he's interacting with him while while he's speaking in this boat. I can just kind of imagine him looking up and be like, man, this guy is different like we talked about last week. And so all that taken into account, he says, go cast your your nets out. And he says, you know what? I've already done all that, but because you say so, I'm going to do what you say. There's this reverence. There's this understanding that something is happening here. 
And what's so, so interesting is that Jesus makes him successful. When, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Because he said so, they were successful. And I see that Peter is saying, You know what? Everything belongs to you. I am blown away by what you've done and you are continuing to do in my life. You are totally different and this is just strange to me. You have made us successful, Jesus. Remember, up to this point, we've had a hard time identifying Jesus in the book of Luke. Right? We've had plenty of people come and, and kind of have a misunderstanding. Right? We have him having this baptism moment with God who says, This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And then he goes into the wilderness where Satan says, are you really the son of God? And then he goes to his hometown and his hometown and says, isn't that Joseph's son? And then all the while we have this situation with the impure spirit that says, you are the son of God. And then we have here Simon Peter having a very interesting situation saying, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Now I want to be careful here because he's not calling him Lord as in Messiah. This is the same word that he used earlier for master, kurios, the Greek word. It's not distinguishing him as Messiah. It's more of a respect factor. But nevertheless, he's trying to identify Jesus, but he's having a hard time doing it. But what's so interesting to me is that the words that Simon says here are very similar to what the demon, the impure spirit, was saying to Jesus before. The first one is what the impure spirit says, go away, have you come to destroy us? the impure spirit talking to Jesus. And then Simon says this, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. That's interesting. It's interesting. There's this conflict taking place but where the demon, the impure spirit, is recognizing the power of Jesus and saying, hey, you're going to disrupt what I want to do. And almost in the same vein, Peter is saying the exact same thing. Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Whatever is going on right now is going to disrupt my entire life. And I am unworthy. Because you said so, good things happen. Because you said so, because you are who you are, your power is made manifest and men know to me, and it's freaking me out a little bit, Jesus. Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. You see the distinction there. But as I read this, not only do Simon's words remind me of these interactions with the impure spirits, but it also reminds me of this in Isaiah chapter 6. In the year of king, that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, this is Isaiah speaking, high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each had six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, with which he had taken from the tongs of the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom shall go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. You see, the impure spirit is afraid 
of Jesus because of what Jesus might do to him. It seems that Simon is afraid because he's in that middle stage, right? He's in the, he's in the process of Jesus changing his whole life. And then we have this other reality where Isaiah is before the throne room of God. The majesty of God is on full display. And his words are, woe to me, right? Now, I want to be clear. Um, when we see these words, woe to me, it's not like saying, whoa, that's crazy. Like, that's an interesting thing. When you see woe to me in the Old Testament, usually that means, whoa, I'm about to die right now, right? <laughs> not like a, whoa, cool. It's a, whoa, I'm near death. Right When he gets into the throne room, there's, there's a few things I want to point out here. When it talks about the train of his robe filling the temple, right? Kings and, and, and their, their majestic clothing, the longer the train, the more important the ruler is. And when Isaiah sees God in this throne room, the train of his robe fills the entire temple. That's crazy to think about. His majesty is, is hard to put into words. This whole thing is hard to put into words. But what Isaiah is trying to get us to say is that this this sight that I'm seeing, this holiness that I'm seeing, I shouldn't be seeing. I should be dead right now. And so he interacts with God, and his first thing is to say, I am about to die. Why? Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live in a generation and a group of people that also have unclean lips. Isaiah sees the majesty of God, and he is compelled. But now we return back to Simon. In a similar vein, he's having Jesus interact with his life in a way that's changing everything. He's in the middle here. He's catching bits and pieces. He's experiencing the power of God. And he gets to this point right here where he says, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. He recognizes that what he's witnessing is different. What he's witnessing has the power to change his life. And ultimately, he's saying, I am unworthy of whatever you're up to, Jesus. And similar to what's taking place here for Isaiah, there's this purification that takes place where this angel takes this coal and touches Isaiah's mouth and there's this purification that happens. And right after that, God says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And out of compulsion, Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Because he's been purified, because he's experienced this great power that's kind of unimaginable for us. He says, here am I, send me, I have to go. And we get back to Simon, and he's not really sure what to do. He says, go away from me, Lord, because I am unworthy. I am a sinful man. But instead of saying, here am I, send me, it seems that Jesus kind of fills in the blanks for our guy Simon here. He recognizes what's going on in the heart of Simon. He says, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to fish for men. From now on, you might not be in the place right now where you're saying, here am I, send me, but I'm going to change your life radically from this day forward. From now on, you will fish for men. And we're kind of in that in-between stage, right? You can't always get what you want. Right? I wonder what the wants for Simon were up to this point in his life. Maybe he wants to continue to be a great fisherman. Maybe he wants to start a family that has more babies to have more fishermen. He wants more boats. I don't know what the wants of Simon were, but I can guarantee you this is probably not one of them. Right? Let's be honest. He's a man. He doesn't want this to take place in his life. You could say, well, Jimmy, he, he wants to you know, live a righteous life, sure. But how many of us would want to say, hey, disrupt my entire life right now and, and make me do something completely different, Jesus? 
not many hands would probably be raised. We like our lives. And I don't think that, that Jesus is disrupting him to the point where it's like his life is going to be radically different, like he's not doing anything he was before. But this changes Simon's life forever. To the point where later his name's not even going to be really Simon anymore, right? We're going to talk about Peter being the rock that the entire church is kind of built off of. That's crazy that all that starts here. With Jesus, I keep saying, like, interacts, intercepts, infiltrates the life of Peter because that's, or excuse me, I said there, of Simon because that's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, everything that you think your life is going to be about, I'm going to change that. It might not be what he wanted to take place, but what, it's what was needed to take place for his life and for the church, for the mission of Jesus to take place. He chose this person to set everything else in a completely different path. It's crazy. It's what was needed. So my question is, I kind of just asked this, but do you want Jesus to do this in your life? I want to say no. <laughs> I do not. If you are sitting around saying, I wish that I could have been a prophet for God, go read Isaiah again. You don't want that. Go read any of those. The prophets are never treated that well. The apostles all died pretty, pretty gruesomely, right? But when we're baptized and we take on Christ in baptism, we're saying, I'm carrying this cross every single day. And we're saying, hey, Jesus changed my life. Are you, is that your reality? Are you, are you ready for that? Do you want Jesus to do this in your life? Maybe not, but I know that I do need Jesus to do that in my life. We all do. This church needs Jesus to do this in our lives. And what I want to get back to is that I think that Jesus is willing to use the context that you're already in. I mean, look at the words that he said to Simon, right? I'm going to make you fish for men. I'm going to take whatever context, whatever you already know, and we're going to apply it elsewhere. Jesus is going to do that for you too. He's going to use your context where you're at right now to do radically different things than you probably ever thought or imagined you could do. But it's going to start with your context, but it's going to kind of ruffle some feathers probably in that context, which is a little bit even more scary. I know some of us were probably at the Thanksgiving table this Thursday with people that aren't really believers in Jesus. He's asking us to disrupt those contexts as well. That's our context. That's our family. What is Jesus calling you to do even in your family unit today for the sake of his kingdom? I don't know if I want that, but I do know that I need, I need it. And the second thing is, where do you hope Jesus doesn't show up? Don't think it too hard because I guarantee it's going to happen, right? Where do you not want him to show up? It's often those things that we don't want to work on are the things that we need to work on the most. If you're an angry person, you're saying, I don't want to work on that, it's probably because it's going to be very difficult for you to work on that. It becomes a, a thing, when we talk about addictions, it's the same thing. But there are places where we hope Jesus does not show up. There are places that we hope Jesus never takes us to that point. I don't want to get, I, if I think about it too hard, I can get really emotional. There's, there's people in my life that I really pray that Jesus doesn't take away from me. The most selfish prayer that I always pray is that please let me leave this earth before my wife does. Right? I don't want to think about that too much. But there's things that we're called to do and there's things that we're asked to do that Jesus is asking us to show up and be his light, to be his source, to be what people see in the world. And as I was thinking about different examples in my life, I couldn't stop thinking about this person, Mamie Till Mobley. 
You've probably heard of this person, an incredibly tragic event that no person in the world would ever want to happen to anybody in their family. Where Emmett Till is visiting other family and is murdered by two people for something incredibly ridiculous. That, 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 I can't even put into words how ridiculous, right? Uh, the, the thought and, and the, the time period this was that they, they felt justified in killing this young man because he whistled at a, at a white woman. And Mamie Till Mobley did not want to be the spokesperson that she eventually became. In fact, she was hesitant at first to, to even, and even do this, but she took the image of her, of her brutalized, her mutilated son and put it on the front of a magazine. And she said, the world's not going to be able to overlook this. And they were right. So many civil rights leaders pointed back to Mamie Till Mobley said, she gave me the energy and she gave me the focus to continue to do what I needed to do for the civil rights in this country. And I'm not necessarily saying that, uh, that it's, this is an extreme case, right? But I couldn't stop thinking about her when I'm saying, what is Jesus calling you to do that you don't want any part of? She did not want any part of this. She did not want to offer up her son to be a victim of a hate crime that's going to radically change the entire country. She did not want that. But nevertheless, that's what happened to her in her life. But she took this hurt, she took this, I, that, I can't even say words like hurt makes no sense. That's beyond hurt. And she was able to capitalize on that for the good of the civil rights movement in this country. For the good of so many people. And she suffered. Not as much as her son suffered physically, but she suffered. And I think about her story, and I think she was a very faithful woman as well. And I think about the depths that humans go to. There's so much hurt in this auditorium right now. I know there is. People who are hurting physically, people whose family is, is in need. And I, and I think back to all the different struggles that I've heard throughout my time in ministry, and it's like, man, life is really hard. But how we use those hard moments to capitalize for the kingdom of God on earth? Where is Jesus calling you where you don't want to go in order for his kingdom to grow? You might know already. You might be experiencing something already that says, you know what, I'm in the middle of this and I don't want anything to do with it. Maybe Jesus is trying to use that moment right now to do something incredible that you're not aware of yet. You might not want it, but it might be the very thing that you need and so many other people need. You might be the example. You might be this kind of Mamie Till Mobley where whatever you're going through is going to change everything. And it's not going to be immediate, but it might do something for the kingdom of God. Don't limit yourself. Don't be afraid to go into those places. Don't be afraid because guess what Jesus promises? That he will be with us always. Will you be used by God in those places today? Let's pray. I don't like to pray these prayers. I don't like to think about these things. And I don't like to, I don't want bad things to happen to anybody. And God's intention was not for those things to happen either. We live in a broken world, and that's just the reality of the situation. But Jesus entered a broken world, and because of that, he was able to redeem it. Help us to be agents of redemption in our lives for the sake of the kingdom. Not for the sake of politics, not for the sake of ourselves, but for the sake of the kingdom. Help us to redeem what we can redeem today. So Jesus, let me pray. Amen.
If you are in a place right now where you're saying, I might be going through one of those things I don't want, but something I need might be taking place, I pray that you have Simon in your heart where he's being kind of thrown off course by Jesus. Maybe that's what's happening to you right now. Maybe you can redeem whatever tragedy, whatever things going on in your life. Maybe you can redeem it today by saying, I'm giving this all over to you, Jesus, because I can't do it myself. Allow Jesus to do that for you. Whatever your needs might be, won't you make them known to somebody today? It doesn't have to be forward. It doesn't have to be in the back. It doesn't have to be in this building. But please let somebody know today as we stand and sing.